All right, guys, we are continuing our study in Genesis chapter four, but let's do a very quick preview from where we left off on the last section of teaching, basically dealing with the offerings between the two brothers, Cain and Abel, how that the offering of Abel was accepted. Why? Because it was offered by faith and that it, the evidence of that offering was that Abel brought the very best of his flock as he offered it up to God. Now, the offering of Cain was rejected because Cain brought, as we said in that previous teaching on this subject, a vata do offering. Or in, in other words, Cain brought simply of the fruit of the ground. Had Cain brought his very best offerings, which is what he should have brought to God, it would have been his first fruits. And these things, by him offering such an offering to God, it would have been an act of faith, an act of faith. Always remember, faith has to have an object. What are you believing? Remember Genesis 3 and 15, the promised seed of the woman. Even though these offerings were basically gifts unto God, but all gifts unto God must be tied by faith. Or as the Bible teaches in the book of Hebrews, this is the reason why Abel was able to offer up a better sacrifice or even should we say minha, which is the actual word that is used in the Hebrew text in Genesis 4. Abel offered up a better offering because he offered it by faith. Okay. But anyway, the point is that Cain's offerings were, were rejected by God. God admonished Cain. He warned him, do better and get your act together. But instead of Cain actually listening to God and repenting, he became angry. He created an occasion to start an argument with his brother Abel and use that as an instance to kill him. God brought Cain into judgment and the judgment upon Cain was that he should be a, va a vagrant and a wanderer in the land for the remain of his days. Cain uh, complained that his punishment was too great God mercifully, he didn't need, he didn't have to, but nevertheless, God mercifully, uh, lightened the judgment on Cain because Cain was in fear that if someone saw him, they would take vengeance for the, for his killing of Abel and they would kill Cain. So God gave Cain a visible sign upon his body somewhere so that if anybody would see Cain, they wouldn't kill Cain, lest they should incur the judgment of God sevenfold from God himself. So God sent Cain away and Cain went in his wandering. All right. Now, with all of that, let us begin in chapter four, verse 17. Cain had relations with his wife and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch and he built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now there are several important points that we want to bring in this particular verse. So now let's just simply deal with it point by point. First of all, we see Cain having relations with his wife. We have all heard that old tired question. Where did Cain get his wife from? First of all, when Adam and Eve were having children, 
Only the names of the sons were mentioned, but the Bible also teaches in chapter five that they also had sons as well as daughters. So, so Cain either married one of his sisters or even possibly his niece. But the bottom line is he received his wife from his father, that is from Adam or one of his brothers. But anyway, so he had relations with his wife, gave birth to Enoch. Now, let me pause very, very briefly here. Oftentimes you will see in the text the mentioning of names. Sometimes the names can have a spiritual uh, principle uh, or a spiritual point that the text is trying to make. For example, when you now, I tell you what, let's just work our way all the way up to what we have now. Adam, Adam's name actually literally means of the ground. God got him from Adama, from the ground. And they took that and made that a proper name, Adam. Hua, which is Eve, that literally means living. And then we have Cain, Cain, which means acquired. And then we have Hevel, which is, we call it Abel. And so the whole point, and that simply means the idea of God giving breath or vanity. And the idea is the difficulty that's facing mankind. The point, a lot of times when you see the names of the different people in the Bible, it speaks of something related to the parent or the child. Sometimes it speaks about the spiritual faith of the parent or the child. So when you see certain names, it'll tell you what's going on with the parent, or it could also speak of the child himself. This is normally the case, but not always the case. And oftentimes we do see that in the book of Genesis. Okay. So when we're beginning to deal with certain of these children, in the line of Cain, we'll see that same idea pretty much for the most part. Be, you can apply that same way of thinking. Whatever the name is the, and the meaning behind the name, it has some sort of spiritual inference to the faith or disposition of the parent and or child, the person who is being named. OK. All right. Another point. When we see these particular names, they only have meaning in the Hebrew language. They only have meaning in the Hebrew language, which simply means that it's an indication that Hebrew was the original language of mankind. In other words, Adam spoke Hebrew. All right. Because the names have their meanings only in Hebrew. And third of all, there may be instances that I'll talk about the meanings of the name, and sometimes I won't apply it too much meaning for the reason with some of these names that we're going to see in this particular section of Genesis 4, they have several different, different meanings and which particular meaning of the name sometimes could be arbitrary or unknown. We don't always know. So, I don't think it's wise to always just simply press the meaning of the name to the individual and say, well, that means this about that person or that means that about that person. Not in every case, but there are instances where it is 
important. All right. With that being said, now let's go back to that particular verse that we were just looking at. Cain now has a child, a son, and his name is Enoch. Now that word Enoch comes from a root that's related to that feast, a Jewish feast that's celebrated today called Hanukkah, Hanukkah. And that's basically Enoch's name. And it literally means consecration or dedication, consecration or dedication. And I think it also here has a sense of a spiritual meaning behind it. Or, or in other words, there is something going on in Enoch's mind, of course, uh, uh, in, in why he named that, that particular son Enoch, meaning what? Consecration or dedication. But notice, here's the thing. He built a city. First thing that should come to your mind is this. I thought God condemned uh, Cain to wandering because of his murder of his brother. So therefore, if he has built a city, he's no longer wandering. He's stationary. What actually seems to be taking place here, guys, is this is not that Cain has stopped wandering, but that he has stopped wandering long enough to build a city for his son. Notice how the city is tied to his son. In other words, Cain is condemned to be a wanderer for the rest of his life. That is his judgment by God. Now, he doesn't want his children to have to bear that same burden and be wanderers for the rest of their lives. And you have to remember, the judgment was on was upon Cain alone. It was not for Cain as well as his descendants. So to stop them from having to suffer all of these things and respect to here, his son, he built a city for him. All right. Named it after his son, Enoch. Now, here's the thing. By the naming of the, of the city after his son, it is basically this. You got to remember this, guys. You got to remember this. And you'll see this in different parts of the Bible as you move forward. Cain, remember, Cain has been rejected of God. Cain is disfellowshipped from God. Okay. There is no longer the, the communion that should have and was supposed to exist between Cain and God. It does not exist. So therefore, when Cain has his son and then Cain sets his mind to build a city for that son, he completely leaves out any thought of God. The whole point is this. There is no glory for God. Let me show you what I mean. When you move through the text of scripture, especially in the book of Genesis, for instance, when you go into Genesis chapter 10, Genesis chapter 11, you start looking at this particular man by the name of Nimrod, who was a mighty hunter before the Lord. How Nimrod created the great city of Shinar, which is ancient Babylon, and how you'll find out as they move towards and in, in closer in move to chapter 11, how they begin to build this great tower in the city of Shinar, Tower of Babel, to the praise and the glory of man. The whole point is this, as you look at the text, and you have to remember what I said at the end of the last teaching concerning Cain's judgment. As men move toward the east, they move further away from God. So that's the idea that we see that is forming here 
in the mind of Cain as he builds this city, as, as uh, Nimrod built his city, and as men began to build other things, they began to forget God. All of this is an indication of their rejection of God, of their being away from God. And we can see that as we begin to open this statement about the activities of Cain in building the city. He builds a city without any thought of God. And notice at the same time, just to show you something, Genesis chapter 12, what did God say? God says to Abraham, I will make you a name. I will make your name great. Notice what God says. He will do these things. But notice what we see happening with Cain. And notice what we see happening with Nimrod. And people who know they want to make their own names great. You even see that antichrist big time. But anyway, so let's go on. So there is a principle that is being set even now. And you got to catch on to it, guys. You got to catch on to it. A principle that's being set in this city. The idea is this. It is a city that does not acknowledge God, that does not have relationship with God, which means it is a people who do not have this thing. All right. Like their father, Cain. But let's continue. Concerning Enoch, verse 18. Now to Enoch was born Erod. That name basically means city man. And it kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? The city was built for Enoch. He has a firstborn son and he names him Erod, city man. Erod and Erod became the father of Mahujael and Mahujael became the father of Methushael and Methushael became the father of Lamech. All right, so let's talk about this. So now we see Enoch's son and his son basically is Erod. So now let me stop here and talk about some things. Oftentimes in, in the scripture, when you look at these genealogies, it is usually a picture of the firstborn son or the principal son of the family. Most important when I say principal, I mean the most important one. Principal son of the family. It is not, these are not all the sons that these men had. It is usually a picture of the firstborn son. And so we're just simply counting the genealogy on down the line in that way. But there were usually other sons and now listen, other daughters, other daughters. But because women are not counted in genealogy, the women are never mentioned except for rare cases. Remember that I just said that you don't see women's name, the name of women, except for rare cases. That's why you see son of this, son of that, son of this, son of that. You'll ask yourself if it's just simply son, people couldn't be born. That's because they didn't count the women unless there was a reason for that. And we'll get to that part later. So we see Enoch's firstborn son is Erod. His name basically means what? City man. And then Erod's Firstborn son or principal son is Mahujael. Now, let's, uh, let me stop here and talk about this thing. Oftentimes in the names, especially in the Hebrew names, of course, of these particular men, it'll give you an idea about the, the person. Remember, that's what I was talking about, the name issue earlier. The person or their parents, because the parent would name the child. 
Usually that is the case, okay? And in looking at the name, it, it has a certain message about the name. So now let's look at these two names in particular. Two names, Mahujael and Mathushael. The L in the back of the name means God. It means God. So Mathujael means God makes me live. God makes me live. And Mathushael means something like man of God or man of prayer. Now, what's the point that I'm trying to make here? It is clear either with the parent or most likely the idea points to the actual man who had who bore that name. These were godly people. So the point that I'm trying to make is this. Remember what, we, what I said earlier about Cain, disfellowship in the city of Cain, uh, th these things and people away from God. Remember that point? But even so, as we see the indication of these two men, even among the descendants of Cain, there were some who were believers. And always remember, you had to keep all this type of thing in context. All right. When you say believers, believers in what you got to believe in something that is Genesis three and 15. That's how a person was saved at this point in time. You had to believe in the promises of God. And always remember, we are always saved by believing something. Today, we are saved because we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, that he died for our sins. He was buried and that he rose again from the dead. And in believing this, you are saved. What does it say? For if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God resurrected him from the dead, you will be saved. Rest Romans 10, Ephesians 2 and 8, for by grace are ye saved through what? Faith. Belief. Faith simply means belief. Belief in what? That Jesus is Messiah. So you're always saved by believing something. It's just in what thing that you believed in, in what area, in, in other words, whatever time that you find yourself. You had to believe those promises that God had given you up until that time. Okay. But anyway, so the point that I was simply making is, is that there were even believers among the descendants of Cain. All right. And then finally we get to this particular guy by the name of Lamech. So now let's go to verse number 19 and we're going to keep going. Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of one was Adah. And the name of the other was Zilha. Lamech took two wives. One of, one of them was the name Adah, which names me something like ornament. And the other's name was Zilla. Her name means something like tingling or twinkle or something to that effect. But anyway, it seems to indicate uh, personal or striking beauty that was involved with these two women. All right. But nevertheless, let's look at the text and let's talk about a few things. Lamech. Lamech, descendant of Cain, first bigamist, polygamist in the scripture. Isn't it interesting that it came from a descendant of Cain? All right. Now, let's talk about a few things with respect to that. The first thing that you, you're probably asking yourself is he has two wives. Is that wrong? The answer is no, it is not wrong. And listen to me, guys, so I can make it clear and simple. The reason that it is not wrong is simply because God did not prohibit it at the time. 
In other words, God did not say, do not take more than one wife. So therefore, there's nothing wrong because God did not speak against it. All right, let's move even a little further. We know that later on, after this particular time, Moses came the law, the law of Moses, okay? And even within the law of Moses, there was nothing in the law of Moses that prohibited a man from having more than one wife. There was nothing in the law said you can only have one wife. All right. However, around as we move towards the New Testament time, this this practice of having more than one wife after they came back from the Babylonian uh, 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 exile, we can see that practice was done less and less until it was hardly ever done at all. We get into the time when Jesus was here. It was basically not done at all, not done among the Jews. OK, but now here's the thing. Since God did not speak about it and it was not called or said to be wrong by scripture, was it anything in scripture that would say that it was right or wrong? Now, first, let me say this before I actually get into that point. When we look at the text, Lamech took to himself two wives. There is the text is neutral. By neutral, I simply mean this. Sometimes you can look at the text and you can get the sense and the feel in the text, negative. God doesn't really like that particular kind of activity or behavior. However, when you look at the text here, it just simply states it as a matter of fact. No positive, no negative. Is it, well, he just took two wives. Just simply says it that way, okay? But now, here's the question. Is there any, any didactive demonstration? By, by didactive, I mean this. It simply means teaching. Did God in any didactic manner show or indicate that it was his desire for one man to be married to one woman? The answer clearly is yes. All you have to do is go back to the original creation of Adam. When God said it was not good for Adam to be alone, what did God make? Did God make create a harem for Adam? Did God make two wives for Adam or did God make one woman for Adam? one woman so that God was teaching in his own creative process and joining of man and woman together. God was teaching one to one. All right. So they should have known anyway, but nevertheless, let's go on. The two wives that he took one Ada, the other Zilha verse 20. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. So the, the firstborn son that uh, Lamech had by Ada, his name was Jabal. Now it said he was the father of those who dwell in tents. But now if you remember when we started at the beginning of this teaching, Cain had built a city and thus, and thus we can see his descendants living in the city. That means they'll have some sense of permanent dwellings. So what we see here with the son of Lamech by Ada, that is Jabal, these are the first nomadic people. So they didn't, they decided not to remain in the city. They decided to become the first nomads. So that's why it said they dwelt in tents. And then it said they have livestock. Now earlier we see that it was uh, Abel who was also raising sheep and goats. 
The point that I want to make here is this. When it said that this wealth, these guys began to be the father of livestock, it's a different word that is used for the one that was used for Abel. Abel was a raiser of sheep and goats, that type of livestock. There's a more broader, broader term and general term like donkeys and goats or, or maybe what camels and things of that nature. There you go, a wider a variety of livestock, not the same thing as of Abel. Let's continue. Verse 21, the brother of Jabal, his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who played the lyre and the pipe. Now here we got another son by Ada. His name is Jubal. And he was the father of those who played the lyre simply is a thing. It kind of looks like a harp. Looks like a harp. So he was the, the makers, the, 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 the creator, I guess you can say it that way, of the inventor of this harp looking instrument and the pipes. That's something, some type of instrument that you blow on. But now here is the point. Here is the point. In the city that Cain had built, notice what you see. You see people progressing. You see the people beginning to advance. You see the people also beginning to have productive lives. You see things, things are getting better. Things are getting better. They're learning how to live and do well in this world, in the city of Cain. But notice, here's the point that I want to bring right here with the music. Now, the text, the text is not speaking negatively of the creation of musical instruments. It's not speaking negative. But when you look at it as a whole in the city of Cain, the it has a negative appearance to it because you got to keep in mind. And so I guess I'll go ahead and say it right now. In the city of Cain, the people got the nice houses. The people got, let me say it in our way, in our way. They got the nice houses, the nice clothes, the nice cars, and they're making good money and they're living well and they're sitting back and eating good and listening to good music and all of that. They have all of these things, but they don't have a relationship with God. They have the material prosperity of this world. They have everything that this world could offer except God. And that takes our mind back to what, what did John say? John said, don't love the world. Don't love the things that are in the world. For everything that's in the world, all these things have to do with what, John? Lust of the flesh. Lust of the eyes, pride in life, the enjoyment of life. I just want to enjoy my life. But be careful don't you enjoy like the descendants of Cain. Enjoy it apart from God. And that's the whole point with this thing. But let me go on. Let me go on. Let me go. So there's the music in the city of Cain. Hey, guys, I need your help to build the channel. So don't forget. Like and subscribe. Verse 22. As for Zilla, she also gave birth to Tuval Cain, and Tuval Cain, one who acquires production, something of that nature. Tuval Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. And the sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah. All right, couple of points. So now we see his other wife, Zilla, giving birth to. Two children mentioned, Tuval Cain and Naamah. 
Tuvokane is a forger. The basically we're talking about metallurgy. They're taking metal or, uh, from the ground and forming all kinds of stuff from it. Okay, so we see the advancement quickly in the culture, knowledge and understanding quickly growing in the culture, especially here's the thing, especially here's the thing in the city that Cain built. And, and guys, and what kind of city is it that Cain built? What about the people in the city of Cain? What is the relationship of such a thing as we've been explaining it to God, to God? But nevertheless, so he built all of the bronze and iron. So he's able to make all these wonderful things. They got everything going on in the Cain city. Then there's the mention of Nehemiah. You remember what I told you earlier that women were rarely mentioned in the scriptures, especially with respect to the genealogy. Now notice we see this woman being mentioned, simply indicating whoever she was, she was a woman of significance. We don't know what she did. The scriptures did not tell us what she did, but whatever it was, she was significant enough among women to be noted in the scripture, which makes it an unusual. That means we're supposed to look at Naomi and go, hmm, something special about her. Don't know what it was, but something was special because God chose to mention her. But anyway, so now let's go on because the attention now begins to settle on Lamech, right? Lamech. So verse 23, Lamech said to his two wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. You give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, all right, let me tell you what's going on here, guys. This is what we call Hebrew poetry, Hebrew poetry. Now, for us in Western countries, poetry is about rhyme and rhythm. The stuff has to rhyme and it has a certain rhythm to the cadence, okay? But Hebrew poetry is not like that. Hebrew poetry is built upon what we call parallelism. That is, and let me give you an example, looking at the text to show you what it means. Notice what it says. It begins and says, Ada and Zillah, who are they? They are the wives of Lamech. Then he says what? Listen to my voice. And then he says for the third line, get you wives of Lamech. Who are the wives of Lamech? Go back to the first line, Ada and Zillah. Remember he said, listen to my voice. Now go to the fourth line, give heed to my speech. So what is the point? The first line, Ada and Zillah parallel with the third line because they are what? The wives of Lamech. The second line, listen to my voice, parallels with what? The fourth line, give heed to my speech. It's basically re repeating or reiterating in some way something that was said earlier. And that's the cadence, that's the structure of Hebrew poetry. Okay? All right. Now, concerning Lamech, Lamech is also in this Lamech, we find is a descendant. He is in the genealogy of Cain. But also, and we're going to be a little premature, but just to give you a heads up. There will be another Lamech. In, and remember, here's the thing about Cain. It, it's not the seed line. He is not the one that God is going to use. In other words, it is not from him and through him that God will bring the promised Messiah. All right. 
But the one that God will choose, and we haven't come to him yet, Seth, we'll talk about him later, who, from which God will choose to be the seed line, okay? He will also have a Lamech, a descendant by the same name. And what is interesting that you'll find is both of the Lamech, the Lamech on the Cain line and Lamech on the Seth line, both of them will have recorded words in scripture and both of them will be complete opposites. One Lamech, as we see in the Cain line, and I just go ahead and tell you before we get into all of it, but I've already read some of it. This Lamech is a wicked man. The Lamech from the line of Seth will be a man of faith. He will be a believer. This Lamech that we'll see in this line of Cain is a boasting line, but the Lamech that we see in the line of Seth will be an humble man looking for the redempting power of God. But anyway, let's go. What does he say? He says, I want you to listen to me. Now let's get to the next part. What is going on? He said, I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. So notice what he said. He said that simple, just for the simple act of wounding, hurting him, that he acted in such violence as he killed a man. And it's interesting to see that notice whose line are we dealing with? Cain. And what was Cain? Cain was the first murderer in scripture. Cain is the first murderer in scripture. And guess what? The second murderer, interesting enough, comes from his line. He was a murderer because notice what he said. He didn't say that I killed this man for self-defense because he was in fear of his life. He said, I killed him simply because he hurt me. That's ridiculous. That's called murder. And notice also, he also says that this particular man was a boy. Yelled is the Hebrew word that is used. It means a young boy. And that's why we can kind of pretty much say it indicates in the text that there is a boasting there is an arrogant boasting that's coming from Lamech. He's pretty much saying, yeah, you just try to bother this old man, but I showed that youngster, you don't, don't, don't mess with an old man, you get yourself killed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he boasts in murder. He boasts in murder. And now look what he says in his own as he tries to justify what he has done, speaking to whom his wife. If Cain, verse number 24, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech will be the idea avenged 77fold. So that means even to the max. Remember, guys, when Cain killed Abel, when that particular thing happened, all right, and he began to complain because of God's judgment, God spared his life by giving him the sign so that nobody would kill him. And God said in seeing this sign, if you kill Cain, you're going to suffer a judgment seven times worse than Cain's judgment. You got that between Cain and God, right? Notice in this absolute unlawful killing, he says his vengefulness will be done 70, even more than the vengeance of Cain. But now here's the thing that I want you to see. He didn't make a mention that it would be God. Now, I don't believe it's just something in the text that does not seem to indicate that his reference is so much as to God. With the field that we got in all of this stuff 
about the descendants of Cain, the descendants and the, the people of Cain and the things of Cain is that they are apart from God. Their actions indicate they are apart from God. And clearly Lamech, this murderer, ain't in no fellowship with God. So my question is, and who is supposed to avenge him? Notice Lamech did not have a conversation with God. Cain did. Lamech didn't have a conversation with God. He had the conversation with his wives. So when you look at the issue concerning the descendants of Cain, here is the thing. It leaves you. It brings you to spiritual despondency because now look, okay, Cain, these are new folk. All right. Everything is just getting started for the most part. All right. You, you're not here that long a time, but it doesn't take long for men to walk away from God and to, and to be outside of fellowship with God so quickly. And now you got a city, a city of all of this prosperity. And see, that's what we, we see today. I tell you, let me make an aside on that. We need to be careful. We need to be careful because Today, we put a lot of uh, 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 emphasis on material prosperity, that God is here to make you rich and God is here to make your life better. And God is here to give you the bigger house, the better car, the better job and all that. That is the city of King. God is not here for your material prosperity. Remember, the whole driving point of scripture thus far is faith and hope in the promised seed. Now we already know that that promised seed comes 4,000 years later by the woman, the woman of that seed, Mary, Miriam, and that seed is Jesus. So therefore our hope is in the Messiah, in the Redeemer. And we need to be very careful not to get the mindset of these Canaanites, and that is looking for the material prosperity. Be weary, be weary that as you gain in such pure <laughs> physical and monetary prosperity that you don't move further and further away from God, the city of Cain. It is the spiritual type of this world, this world. So when we leave off, that's my point. Dealing with the descendants of Cain, you're almost in depression as you look at mankind and say, my God, we even moved away from God. Is this the end? Not quite. Let's continue on with the final section of this Toledoth and Toledoth. And remember, guys, I talked about that, that whole section of teachings where Moses compiles the different documents. And the whole idea of Toledoth is this is what became of this. This is what became of that. But anyway, I'm not going to rehash that right now. I want to continue on in this teaching, verse 25. So Adam had relations with his wife again. She gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel. For Cain killed him. Now this is loaded. So let's begin to unpack it. I know it's been a while, but let's just unpack it so that we can see what is going on. So now clearly this is the third son, third son of Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve, third son. Because why? The Bible mentions about Cain, Abel, and the death of Abel. Then Cain had killed him. What you have to remember again is 
these were their only sons. These were not uh, talking about their daughters. They were constantly having daughters. Okay, but let's just go on with the text. So they have have another son, name him Seth. And notice Eve named him Seth. And let me pause there. Notice what you see here. Remember again, God, I can't hammer it enough, but I tell you what, in hammering over and over again, you'll get even for me. It took me a long time to really get this point. It's all about the promised seed. It's all about the promised seed. Now, here's the thing that I want to bring to your attention. It is a common thing, common way. All right. A Jewish traditional practice. Men named the children. Men named the children. But notice in all three boys, Eve named them all. Now, we understand it is assumed. It is assumed that as the mother, she has natural authority over the children. So it's not about an issue of authority. What it is an issue is, it is a reflection of Genesis 3 and 15, the seed of the woman. That means the hope of the redemption. Eve knows, she knows that from the woman will come this special child that should bring redemption. And since she believes that she is the woman, that's what she's thinking. She is the woman. She will bring that particular child. Let's go all the way back. At first, she thought Cain was that child and Cain was a dramatic disappointment. Then she set her hopes in Abel. Maybe he is that one. Cain ended up killing him. So now she has no more sons. She has no more sons. All of a sudden, she has another son. She names him. She, not Adam. She names him Seth because once again, it is the evidence of her hope that she believes that she is bringing forth the seed of the woman, the promised one of God. She's believing that about Seth. All right. All right. The next point I want to talk about names him Seth. Now his name Seth. And then when it says, for she said, God has appointed me. The verb used for appointed and the name Seth are basically from the same Hebrew roots. It simply means uh, to put, to set, or in this idea, in this setting, to appoint, to appoint. Okay. So the name Seth. So she's, she, he's saying his, she named him after basically the idea of what's going on. I am calling him, let me say it this way, appointed. Why? Because God appointed him to me. So that's what she's saying. All right. But now something else that let's, let's hit the brakes here too. notice the language that she says, God has appointed me. Do you remember earlier on when she had her firstborn son, Cain, what did she say? She said, I have acquired a man. Ah, and, and refer back to my teaching on that. That was a big theological no, no. Remember the whole issue is dealing with the seed that should come, the appointed seed. And this seed would be the redeemer, the savior. Okay. Salvation comes and is the total complete work of God alone. We play, we don't do that. We can't save ourselves. We can't participate in the saving of ourselves. And remember the big no-no of Genesis 4 and 1, Eve said, I have acquired, I have acquired. 
There is nothing that you can do to save yourself. Remember what God said to that right woman. Remember the woman who was the true uh, uh, a woman from which the seed would come from. Her name was Miriam. We call her Mary. What did she say? She said, I ain't never had no man before. So how am I have this baby? And God said, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the Holy Spirit will form him inside of you. And that one shall be born from God, a holy one or thing from God. So the whole point is all of this was done by God. Salvation is of the Lord. And what did Mary say? Be it unto me as the Lord sees fit. I am behold the hand handmaiden of the Lord. I'm your servant. In other words, we may be instrumental. God uses us for his work. God, what uses us for his work? But in the end, salvation is only of and from the Lord all by himself, all to himself. Now, here's the thing that I'm going to bring about because I was way too long on that. But Notice what Eve said. God has appointed. Remember all of that vitriolic language that she used? I have acquired. Now we see what? Humility. And now we see a better understanding, even theologically so, that it's not something I have done, that if this seed has come into the world, guess who brought it into the world and guess who did it? Guess who is the author of our salvation and finisher of our faith. It is God who has done it. So in Eve, we see a better understanding and also we can see humility, humility. Okay. All right. She says, so I have this new son. His name is Seth that God has given me and God gave him to take the place of Seth. But notice what she also says too. She says, God appointed for me another our English says offspring, but the word actually in Hebrew is Zerah. Zerah is the Hebrew word for seed. Seed, that's the word that God himself used in Genesis 3 and 15. Zerah, the seed. In other words, what's my point again? Eve, look, Eve is looking, hoping that maybe Seth is the promised seed. So we can see almost, notice, a sense of desperation. In looking for the coming redeemer, sad, many, many years before he would come. But clearly she is evidencing faith in the promises of God. All right. Last verse. Let's talk about it. To Seth, to Seth, to him also. And Seth ends up being this chosen seed line, as I told you earlier. To Seth, to him also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. So now we see finally this end with Seth having a son and he called his name Enosh. Now Enosh actually is another word that means man. It means man. However, the meaning has to do with the frailty of man. So now when we see him naming his son, that Enosh with reflection to what the frailty and the weakness of man, it gives us a picture of the human race. It gives us a picture of what things it is not going well since what the fall and, and man is desperately looking for the hope of God. And we see now this hope, it, 
Many years to come, many years to come, but God has chosen, and we'll see this later on in the text, that God will bring it through this line that is the line of Seth, line of Enosh, right? Then he says, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Remember, now what we have is this. We have a juxtaposition of two different peoples here. When we look at the whole issue concerning Cain, and remember what I said about the city that Cain built and the whole image of how men were departing away from God, moving to the east. They were progressing. They were advancing and people were, were doing well in life, but they were doing well with the big houses, the big cars, blah, 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 and everything else. But they were doing all of this apart from God. And then when you look at Enosh, now here's a, let me say it again, a, a reiteration on my part, guys. I want to show you something. When you look at the line of Seth, Enoch, this is the line chosen of God. Where is the, where is the, the, the big time cattle? Where is all of the metallurgy talked about? Where's the big the houses and, and where's, you just see, where's all of that material prosperity? Now, I am not speaking against prosperity. That's not what I'm speaking of, that's not what I'm doing. But what I am saying is this, don't move away from that. That's one thing that the Apostle Paul talked about in his letter to Timothy when Paul spoke about greed, about even preachers being greedy for gain and they taught people from the perspective of being greedy for money. And we call that simple prosperity preaching today. And that's all we, God will make your life better and God will give you this and God will give you that. Isn't it interesting? When you look at the chosen line of God, where's all of that material prosperity stuff? Where's all of that wonders and the glory and the glitter of the world's prosperity? Notice, absent. But what you do see, as it talks about in the very end, men were calling on the name of the Lord. They may not have had silver and gold. What did Peter say to the man when he came to the temple? Silver and gold have I none. But such as I do have, I freely give it to you in the name of Jesus. Now, that's what I do have. I do have the hope of the promise. I do have the hope of that seed. And in all of the wealth and prosperity of Cain and the city and this world, they don't have God. So you know what? It's all right not to have everything as long as you've got how did that song go? As long as you got King Jesus. <laughs> All right. That's enough then. All right, guys. Thanks for joining me on that one. Catch you next time as we move to the next section in Genesis chapter 5 in the next told oath. See you then. Subscribe! And subscribe! <laughs>